Welcome to Sure Foundation Lutheran Church's podcast channel. The following sermon was preached on February 12, 2023, on the basis of Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 37. Grace and mercy and peace are yours from our Lord who did all things for us. Amen. This gospel reading that we just had is one of those gospel readings that you get done reading and I say the gospel of the Lord and you say praise be to you, O Christ, and yet something just doesn't quite sit right. And it's not because Jesus said something incorrectly. Of course, all of Jesus' words are, are perfect. But perhaps it's because the, the title of that reading was the gospel reading. And you know what gospel means, right? Gospel means good news. Yet after reading something like that, it really doesn't make anyone feel good. <laughs> and if you do feel good after hearing that reading, I'd suggest that maybe you're just not being completely honest with yourself. Now, as we know, Jesus' words are perfect. And Jesus has a purpose for what he's telling us, even in these words. And his purpose for us this morning is that Jesus intends to drive us, drive his hearers, to himself. Now, this is a, a, taken in the Sermon of the Mount, of course, and this was one big sermon. We've broken it up into parts, but uh, this was all given at one time. So actually, the, the last verse from last time is a great way to introduce our reading for today. The last verse from last time was this. For I tell you, Jesus speaking again here, for I tell you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is about to answer the question, what does it mean to have righteousness that surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law? Now, if you were one of those people that were uh, sitting on the mountainside listening to Jesus give this Sermon on the Mount, and you heard the word righteousness... You were a good Jewish student. You knew exactly where to look for the how-to guide to live a righteous life. Of course, it was the Torah. The Torah is is a a Hebrew word that means law or teaching, but it's also the word that is used to talk about the first five books of the Bible written by Moses. The Torah was the the study guide for the, the Jewish people. That's what they they held tight to was that those first five books that recounted the history of the world, recounted the history of the Israelites, uh, but maybe for our purposes this morning and the context in which they'd be hearing this, they were concerned about what was contained within the Torah, which was the law of God, the Ten Commandments. You know the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were a masterpiece written by God, and they, were, they had a specific purpose for the, the Israelites. They were to set them apart. They were to set them apart from all of the other nations around them because all of the other nations around them were not following the law of God. They were following their own man-made laws, their own customs. They were pagans. But God gave gave the Israelites this law to make them holy. That's what holy means, set apart. This law would separate the good from the bad, the righteous from the unrighteous, the holy from the profane. 
So if you were a Jewish student at that time, you knew the Torah. You knew those commandments like the back of your hand. Yet, that's going to make Jesus' words all the more shocking to the person listening to this. Because they knew the Torah. They knew it was in here. But Jesus is going to give his commentary on some of those commandments. He isn't even going to dig into all of them. We'd be crying by the end if he dug into all of them. But he's going to give his, his commentary here. He's going to give his, um, the spirit behind the law sort of speech. So here's the ones he's going to talk about. The fifth one, the fifth commandment. You shall not commit adultery. Or, sorry, fifth commandment. You shall not murder. The sixth commandment. You shall not commit adultery. And he's going to also talk about divorce, honoring marriage, divorce in there too. And then he's going to talk also about the eighth commandment. You shall not give false testimony. Uh, don't tell a lie. You can maybe make the case for the second commandment, too, because he's, he's going to talk about uh, telling the truth in relation to taking oaths, too. So those are the ones. Uh, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. Uh, don't tell lies. And uh, if, you, if you take an oath, uh, don't swear by God's name needlessly. Even as you hear that list, those four, how does it hit you? Maybe some of you are sitting there and you're, you're convicted already. It didn't take much. It, it took only the, the reading of those four commandments and you, you feel convicted. But I'm going to guess that a lot of you don't. And I'm going to guess that was the, the case for the people back then too. Even the ones that had studied the Torah, they, they've studied the, these Ten Commandments backwards and forwards. They knew them so well and yet they, they probably walked away feeling pretty good. I hadn't murdered someone. I haven't committed adultery with someone and, and I've never... I'm not a liar. I, I tell the truth in all of these things. And they felt pretty good after hearing this. But Jesus is going to say, there is more to being a righteous person. There is more to living a holy life than just restraining yourself from killing someone. Than just restraining yourself from committing adultery or, or telling a lie. The law is about more than just that. And so he starts. He says, you may not have murdered someone. Great. Good for you. But the spirit of the fifth commandment is deeper than that. The spirit of the fifth commandment is protecting your body, your bodily welfare, and other people's bodily welfare. So, have you hurt or harmed someone in their body before? Have you seen someone that you could help, but instead of helping them, you just passed by and you didn't help? Because if, if that's the case, then you too have become a lawbreaker. You too have broken the fifth commandment. But Jesus isn't going to leave it at that either. He's going to dig even deeper. He's going to say it's not just the actions, not just your actions that the Lord cares about, but he also cares about your words and thoughts. Have you insulted someone before? To their face or behind their back? Because if you have, if you said something like, Raka or you fool, which were insults in that day, then you are answerable to the court. You are liable to the fires of hell. Ah, but, but even deeper, right? If you've even thought it, if you've even harbored a thought of anger, even if it was just for a moment uh, against a neighbor, then you will be subject for judgment. You want to keep the fifth commandment? Well, then reconcile with your brother before you come to the altar of the Lord. You want to keep the, the commandment, the, the fifth commandment? Well, then settle things with your adversary before it even makes it to court. After hearing that, you just realize the law's demands are high. 
The law's demands are perfection. And then he moves on. Moves on to the sixth commandment. So you haven't committed adultery with someone. Great. Good for you. Uh, but, but the sixth commandment is about more than restraining yourself from impure sexual uh, actions. It's about honoring God's whole institution of, of marriage. And so Jesus, again, digs deeper. And he says this. Anyone who looks at a woman, or you could supply man here too, lustfully, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It makes it pretty clear that the the act of adultery and the the thoughts, the lustful thoughts, find their origin in the same place. They find their origin in the same place, and and it doesn't matter if you, you think it or you do it, they are both answerable, punishable before our holy God. Because they profane his holiness. They, they break his holy law. And God takes uh, sinful sexual thoughts, sinful sexual actions, he takes those seriously, so seriously, that he says, it would be better for you to gouge out your eye or chop off your hand and, and enter eternal life with, with one eye and one hand than to have both eyes and both hands but be thrown into to hell. The law's demands are high. The law's demands are perfection. And we're only two paragraphs in, and I think if, if you're like me, you're thinking, Lord, stop. Lord, stop. I'm almost in the, in the corner crying already. But the Lord keeps going. He has more to say. He's going to talk more about the sixth commandment here, but he's going to move to the topic of uh, divorce. The people in that day were divorcing for any and every reason. Uh, maybe not a whole lot different than today in some, in some respects. Uh, but they were justifying themselves, and they felt pretty good about themselves because, well, they had carried out their divorce in line with what uh, the law of Moses said, in line with what Deuteronomy 24 said. They had given their wife a certificate of divorce. Jesus says, don't try, don't try to justify yourself in this way. Essentially, he's saying, uh, don't think God smiles on you for breaking this covenant that was supposed to last for life. The law's demands are high. The law's demands are perfection. He moves to oaths. You have heard that it was said, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. In the teaching of the Torah, your word mattered. When you made a promise, when you took an oath, it mattered that you you followed through on it, that you were a person of your, your word. Now, it seems like people were telling lies at the time. Not any different than today. That's not really surprising, right? But it seems like people were using oaths as a way to give credibility to their words. So, if they were super serious about something, they'd swear by heaven. But if they weren't quite as serious, but they wanted to give a little bit of credibility to their words, they'd swear by the earth or by Jerusalem or by their own, by their own head. Yet, this is probably just the general truth in life. If someone has to take an oath, if they have to swear by something to give credibility to their words, then they probably don't have any credibility in the first place. And Jesus says, this is unnecessary. This is not what godly people do. Just tell the truth. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Quit playing games with the truth. Quit twisting the truth. Quit making things up. Just tell the truth. The law's demands are high. The law's demands are perfection. Jesus keeps hammering the law again and again and again. And he has to. 
He has to because if left to ourselves, we will give ourselves any number of legitimate sounding excuses. We will come up with loopholes to get ourselves out of that law or convince ourselves that we haven't broken that law or convince ourselves that, you know, we're, we're pretty good people. Yet Jesus keeps laying it on. Jesus hammers the law again. And he says, you, you aren't that good uh, because you'll harbor anger, but you'll convince yourselves it's righteous anger, right? Or you'll look at filth on a screen uh, and convince yourself you're not harming anybody else and you're not harming yourself. Or you'll tell a lie, but you'll convince yourself that somehow it's not a lie. Or somehow you had a good reason for telling that lie. You'll try to justify yourself in any sort of way and give yourself a million loopholes. We are that kid. That kid that their mom asks to do the dishes. Um, and so the, the kid washes the, the plates, he washes the, he washes the cups, but he doesn't wash the silverware because mom said do the dishes and silverware is not a dish. We are that kid. Jesus gives us no loopholes, he gives us no excuses, and he doesn't let us off the hook. He hammers the law again and again and again, and with each word of the law, he's pouring more dirt on top of us, and he keeps shoveling. He keeps pouring more and more and more on top of us until we're buried, until we realize that we can't dig out on our own. You can't dig out of that hole. There is nothing that you can do to save yourself. You cannot be righteous on your own. You are the poorest of the poor in spirit. Your only hope, your only hope at all is your Savior. Your only hope of being righteous is receiving Jesus' righteousness. It's after a reading like this that maybe you do feel a little down. Good. I fell down after that too. It's good to be buried, though. It's good to be buried in this way because you have a Savior who they thought was dead and buried too. They thought he was gone for good, but you know the end of the story. He, wasn't, he didn't stay dead forever. He didn't stay buried, but he was raised. He was raised to life to save us. He was raised to life to save us so that when we are properly buried by the law, when we have so much dirt piled on top of us that we can't dig ourselves out, you know what our Savior does? He reaches down into the grave and yanks us out of there. Yanks us out of the grave and gives to us the righteousness that only he can give. Maybe you do feel bad after reading a section like this, but, but maybe consider it this way. Um, even though this is all law, consider it this way. The very laws and demands that Jesus gives you are the very laws and demands that he was willing to put himself under. The very laws and demands that he was willing to keep on your behalf. Jesus never harbored anger against anyone, even the people that were killing him. Jesus never had a sinful sexual thought, not even for a second. And even though he wasn't married, he honored marriage completely. Jesus never told a lie, even though there were probably plenty of times where it would have been convenient for him to lie, he never lied. He was completely righteous so that he could give to you his righteousness. The law's demands are high. The law's demands are perfection. Jesus was that perfection for you. 
he now sees perfection. God now sees perfection because of what Jesus did for you. We've said it a few times in the service and in the sermon already, that this Sermon on the Mount was one big sermon, right? We've broken it up into three different weeks here. But it seems appropriate to conclude this sermon in the same way that Jesus started his. You remember back a couple weeks ago, he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit are blessed because they realize they're buried and they only have hope in Jesus. Jesus is their only hope to yank them out of the grave and give them his righteousness, and he has. So the poor in spirit are blessed. Amen. Hi, Pastor Wilkie here. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. It's always great to grow in God's word together. Could I issue you a challenge for this week? Could you invite someone else to listen to this? Uh, these days in the 21st century, it's pretty easy uh, to invite somebody just to, to listen to a sermon. It's very non-threatening. So please take this challenge and see if you might just be able to get one more person to hear about Jesus' love for them. And we hope you'll tune in next week for another sermon from God's Word.